The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of The, the Lost, Lost Skeleton, Skeleton of Cadavra. Oh, we have to go back and put that in echoey, uh, so that when you guys <laughs> hear this, you'll, you'll hear the echo. Where we will discuss, well, we're not going to discuss hidden layers and deeper meanings of this. We're just going to talk about how much fun this movie is to watch. Uh, joining me today on the panel are David Hanlos. Hey, David. Hello. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, be sure to join the StarQuest fan club by texting the word StarQuest, that's all one word, to 66866. That's StarQuest to 66866. And uh, if you enjoy Secrets of Movies and TV shows, you'll be sure to enjoy another show that's on the StarQuest network called American Catholic History. In about 20 minutes a week, you'll hear a, another excellent story, often one you've never heard before, uh, from the history of Catholics in the United States of America in, and predated in the U.S., I think it goes, they will go all the way back to 1513 in the original settlements. So oh, be, they could go back to 1492 if they wanted. Who do you think discovered America? <laughs> the Catholics did. That's right. right. That's right. Uh, so uh, I have to ask them why they chose 1513 as their beginning date. In any case, check it out. It's called American Catholic History. You'll find it wherever podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash history. All right. So this time we are talking about the Lost Skeleton of Cadavra. And uh, before we get into it, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what this movie is about? So first of all, this is a black and white movie. And so think in black and white for me. And scientist Dr. Paul Anderson and his wife Betty have come to the woods near Cadaver Cave to find a recently crashed meteor that is made of the rare radioactive element atmospherium. Meanwhile, Evil scientist Dr. Roger Fleming has come to the woods around Cadaver Cave to find the lost skeleton of Cadaver so that he and the skeleton can rule the world. Also, meanwhile, <laughs> two aliens from the planet Marva, Crowbar and his wife Lattice, crash in the woods near Cadaver Cave, <laughs> and their pet, a monster known as the Mutant, escapes from their rocket ship. All three groups have a common problem. Paul needs the atmospherium so he can do science with it. Roger needs the atmospherium so he can reanimate the skeleton and rule the world. And Crowbar and Lattice need the atmospherium to repair their rocket ship and go back to their planet Marva. Paul and Betty get the meteor, so the others need to find a way to steal it from them. Crowbar and Lattice use an alien device known as a transmutatron to make human clothing for themselves so they can pass themselves off as two humans from Earth and infiltrate the cabin where Paul and Betty are staying. Dr. Roger Fleming also decides to infiltrate the cabin, and to appear more normal, he uses the transmutatron to merge four forest animals into a beautiful woman named Animala so that he will have a date to bring to the cabin. Because that will make him more normal. <laughs> Eventually, Roger and Animala get the meteor and use it to reanimate the skeleton. 
Crowbar and Lattice then become friends with Paul and Betty once they realize that Paul would have shared the atmospherium with them from the beginning. The skeleton, now reanimated, then tries to force Lattice to marry him as the bride of the skeleton. But Paul and Betty have discovered that Betty has a strange, charming influence over the alien mutant monster, and they crash the wedding. In the end, the skeleton, who hates Roger, chokes him to death. The mutant attacks the skeleton, and the two fatally wound each other. Animala is turned back into the four forest creatures she was made from, and Crowbar and Lattice get ready to depart for their home planet Marva, leaving their new friends, Paul and Betty. The end. <laughs> that is quite the recap and quite the story. Um, yeah. So let's let's talk about this. So as you mentioned, Jimmy, well, let's start with what... Why did you pick this for this topic for this episode? Uh, yes, it's not why? our usual thing. Yes, why, Jimmy? Why? <laughs> well, because you're always saying you need more people to be on secrets of movies and TV, this and is true. you have a difficult time sometimes getting a crew together. And I don't watch a lot of the big budget popular movies and stuff but there are certain movies that i really love they they're often hidden gems that a lot of people don't know about and this is one of my favorite comedies I um see why. Ever, yeah <laughs> ever since i was a kid i have loved uh bad movies um you know in high school back in the vcr day i mean i would watch them on on tv when i was really small before they had vcrs then after VCRs came in, when I was in high school, I'd go down to the local VHS place and rent bad 1950s science fiction B-movies and watch them. And I became a connoisseur of them. I'd make fun of them in my head on my own. And then when I was in my 20s, Mystery Science Theater 3000 came out where they would do all the work for me, you know, <laughs> yep. and I could watch them making fun of the bad movies. And then in 2001, Larry Blamire, a filmmaker from Hollywood and his gang produced The Lost Skeleton of Cadaver, which is it's got the comedy baked in. It's like. Mystery Science Theater taken one step further where the movie is actually bent around the comedy instead of the comedy being lay layered over the bad movie. It's so, something kind of something kind of like if Naked Gun tried to do a, a 1950s yeah, movie. Yeah, <laughs> good, good analogy. So, yeah, just like Naked Gun is a parody of police movies, police mm -hmm. stories. Um, Lost Skeleton is a parody of 1950s science fiction B movies. And they are trying so hard to be accurate down to the stock oh, music, down yes. to the stock music and, and the stock footage. One one of the things I've, I tell people about this is you don't have to be a fan of 50s B movies to get this, you know, to understand the comedy. But the more you know about 50s B movies, the funnier this is because uh -huh. they will do things like you, you look at, you know, these B movies from the 50s and they they frequently were made for next to no money. They'd have a budget of like six thousand dollars and they would be made in like a week. Mm -hmm. You know, so they didn't have time for retakes and they were made by people who were not really professional actors and stuff. And to pad out the movies, they would frequently include stock footage. Yeah. And so like if you watch the 
the movie Jungle Goddess, starring George Reeves. Um, starring it, George yeah, Reeves. <laughs> there's, there's a scene where they're flying over Africa in a plane, and then they're looking down at the animals they can see in Africa, and all of a sudden we have ground-level stock footage <laughs> in, of animals instead of like what you would see if you were actually looking out of a plane. It's just, here we are on the ground with some trees in the background, and there are animals. Animals. And <laughs> and they do something very similar in Lost Skeleton, where once Paul and Betty arrive in the woods around Cadaver Cave, Paul, like out of the blue, says, hey, they've got the right idea. And then all of a sudden we have ground level footage of squirrels playing. Yes, that's, that's right. That's right. Like just <laughs> and, out of nowhere. <laughs> out of, and, and then they repeat the same footage, which we've just seen, yeah. which is also one of the things you will find in these 50s B movies. Sometimes not only do they have inappropriate stock footage, they'll repeat it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, another element that is subtle, but if again, you'll recognize if you've watched any of these movies is even the in the editing, they they hold shots like just like one second too long. Yeah, like they Mm -hmm. it's just like they, they have this sloppy editing in there. Which at first you're like, this is kind of sloppy. And then you realize, no, no, they're going for authenticity with mm-hmm. that. It was yeah. remarkable. Like when the skeleton is walking in front of, <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, in, in front of them, but it's re- in front of the, um, Fleming the and the uh, Fleming. Yeah. It's yeah. obvious that he's, they're pretty much holding him up. Yeah, they're just, they're carrying, just, yeah. They're just <laughs> yeah. carrying him. Like, oh, like okay, he, you're just baby wearing him right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they like pass the skeleton prop off between Roger and Animala. So yes. Roger will be holding him, the skeleton, by the spine below the camera. And so Animala can be more animated in the frame. And then Animala will be holding the skeleton by the spine below the frame. So Roger can be more animated. Mm-hmm. Right. And then in other shots, you you see the wires and and it's clearly like a um like a science classroom skeleton like you you yeah. can see the rod that's in it to hold the rib cage open and i mean it's like there there's no attempt to to mask it and make it look any uh to make it look real or anything like that it, yeah, it's it just, looks plastic yeah i mean you talk about the low budgets i i looked it up this one had a budget of $40,000 in 2001 which i mean it's not nothing but it's for a it, movie film it's very low yeah but to be honest i mean they did i mean i think they did what uh, i mean they made it they made it like they they had a vintage car they 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 did what they could with it yeah one thing that they did that's very vintage is they is the filming location they used they filmed a lot of this in bronson canyon Mm -hmm. uh bronson canyon is um it's it's in los angeles i believe it's part of griffith park but it's in Los Angeles and loads of movies have been filmed there, especially back in the 50s. Like Bronson Canyon is in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's the um, when you see the 60s Batman series and the Batmobile in the opening credits come or whenever the Batmobile comes out of the uh, out of the Batcave. That's a cave in Bronson Canyon. And so as an homage to all these old movies and TV shows that filmed in Bronson Canyon, that's where they wanted to film. And to get the permit, you know, they had to pay. And actually, the permit to film in Bronson Canyon was was the most expensive item in their budget. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Um, Every Star Trek series before the 2005. So all of the the pre um, the pre return of Star Trek 
all of them have had I. something e. the filmed. good the, the good the, series the good yeah, series right, right 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 yes they all have been filmed at one point or another filmed uh, episodes in Bronson Canyon just so you know it's one of those places you've you've definitely seen Bronson Canyon yeah. in in something um yeah that is I'll, that is good also as another mark of authenticity i was i was i, I happen to i'm fortunate i larry blamire the filmmaker is a friend of mine on facebook ah. um and i was once watching an interview where he was talking about the making of the film and one of the minor characters in the film is a is a guy named ranger brad yes <sighs> yes he was ranger brad. yeah ranger <laughs> brad is great and you know even though the actors in the film are not, you know, A-list, top of Hollywood huh? famous actors, they are professional actors. I recognize several of them, yeah. I recognize Fleming yeah. right away. Yeah. From... Uh-huh. yeah. So when they had cast the guy to play Ranger Brad, he was asking how he should approach the part. And Larry told him, okay, I want you to imagine that you're, a, you're not an actor that you're a real forest ranger and the only reason you've been hired to be in this film is because you have the forest ranger uniform. <laughs> that because, is a perfect description. Yeah, because oh. that's that's what they would do. They would hire people just because they had the right clothes. <laughs> and 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 the, the actor then said, well, if that were the case, then I, I think my performance would be really bad and he said yes that's what i'm looking for <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean i recognize the the uh the guy who plays fleming i recognize the the actress who plays betty was mm-hmm. in the uh, tv show the the last ship um mm-hmm. oh which, yeah which yep. uh, she was the chief engineer of the ship um mm-hmm. i mean just yeah i recognize uh, uh, several of the actors so yeah i mean a lot of actually actors in Hollywood, they do these little side projects that just like, they're just fun things to do because they enjoy being actors and not mm-hmm. just because they're big stars, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, it is, it was fun to see them intentionally being bad mm-hmm. in this. Uh, I mean, it's, it's both brilliant and terrible at the same time. Like oh, this yeah. movie. And, and the, the terrible it's, it's is the brilliant. brilliant. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I was talking, I was telling my wife, Melanie about this and she's like, she said, I'm not sure I'd be interested in seeing it, but if I were at a party with a bunch of friends, this would be the the best thing to watch because mm-hmm. it's the perfect the perfect party movie for a particular kind of group of friends who would just love to laugh at the intentional campiness of the movie. And I think that's that's right on target. Mm-hmm. I, I think it'd be good to watch with your family because the movie is totally kid friendly. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. And you can get that group laughter dynamic going as a family with it. There's plenty of slapstick in it. And I think the the kids especially would love that. Like the, the scene where they're at the dinner party. Oh, the dinner scene is awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. Because you got Adamala, yes. uh, who's an, really an animal. And then you have the aliens. And the aliens are like, what do we do? We don't know what you're supposed to do to, to at, ha- at, at a, a dinner, dinner party. And so the, just do whatever they do. And so Adamala shoves her face into the plate and starts yeah. eating it like an animal. So like, okay. And they dive in too. Yeah. And there's, there's a, there's a slow build uh, because initially now we've seen Roger in the forest with Animala, mm. yeah. like teaching her how to drink. Yes. And so she's got, he gives her a mug, like a little camping mug of water. And she immediately, because she's an animal, she starts trying to lap it up. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he's like, no, no, like I showed you. And he says, 
tip, 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 tip. <laughs> and she's like tipping back, but she's not just tipping the cup back so she can drink out of it. She's tipping her whole head back and staring up at the sky <laughs> yeah. because she, she doesn't know how to drink in a human way. And then because Animala's takes the initiative. She's aggressive. She's active at the dinner party. There's she's sitting across the table from Crowbar and Lattice. And we have that exchange. How do we know their eating customs? Just do whatever they do and we will not fail to convince them. <laughs> and and Animala takes her glass and and puts it to her lips. And then she says, tip, 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 tip. And and so both Crowbar and Lattice take theirs. Tip, 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 tip. And then Animala is looking down at her plate like she's a cat or something that's about to pounce on a mouse. And she's just staring at her plate intensely like it's her prey while the others are talking. And we see her in the background just silently doing that. And then the moment comes and she pounces and does a face plant in the plate. And Crowbar and Lattice immediately do face plants in the mashed potatoes on their plates. Yes. <laughs> and by yes. the way, the, the mashed potatoes were ancient. Apparently they found the oh. box of mashed potatoes oh. in the cabin that they rented. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh man. That, 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 those might've survived a nuclear, nuclear test. Yeah. Yeah. Oh that, man. Dedication to your craft. To, yeah. oh, gosh. oh, and there's also a, a, a little tidbit about the cabin uh, that they rented. There's actually two cabins. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can tell because like a fifties B movie, they make no effort to hide the fact this is really two different cabins. Right. The inside you know, and you, the outside don't match up. Yeah. They, no. And the outsides don't match up. <laughs> right. right. Um, you know, the, like the front door is completely different in, in these two cabins, but they're pretending they're one. Um, so they rented these two cabins and um, they had a little bit of confusion. They had because it's like we've got these amateur filmmakers coming in. Now, normally this is like a vacation cabin or something. Yeah. It's not normally a place where people would film. And then the owners like got word that, OK, we have some people who are renting our vacation cabin to come in and do filming. Right. Or do science. What what <laughs> yeah. kind of filming are they going to be doing oh. in there? <laughs> and they needed to give the owners some assurances that mm. we're not. This is not adult filming here. This right. is a, this is a science fiction parody. <laughs> oh wow. Well, speaking of the science, I, I love the fact that at, like right at the beginning, like um, Doctor Fleming is uh, uh you know I'm a scientist. He doesn't say like there's no. Hint at what kind of science he does, but like in B movies of the fifties, mm-hmm. like a scientist was just a thing. You were a scientist of all science, yeah. mm-hmm. so uh, he wants to advance science. I yeah. Yeah. Dr. Armstrong, eventually, he normally does just talk in terms of science, and Mm -hmm. I'm a scientist, and I do science, and things like that. Eventually, there is a reference. Ranger Brad, at one point, refers to him as, oh, the meteor specialist? I'm honored to meet you. But that's the closest we get, is a reference to him being a meteor specialist. Yeah, a meteorographer, I think. (laughs) You're right, yep. Not a meteorologist, a meteorographer. (laughs) Right, right. If you if you this is this is I will say going back to this is totally kid friendly. But if anyone decided to make this a drinking game, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> don't like don't choose the word do phrase do science. You will not survive. Yeah. Oh, you will not survive yeah. this. Even worse. The, so two of the recurring phrases. I love the way Larry Blameyer wrote the script because it's really a, a verbal work of art. 
uh, how he is yeah. writing this deliberately badly and making it funny. Um, and and just as a wordsmith myself, you know, because I write for a living, I really appreciate the craft in the script. But one of the recurring two of the recurring elements he uses are the phrases. Hmm. I wonder. <laughs> and and then. Oh, well. And <laughs> and and he he uses them repeatedly throughout the script yep. and in interesting ways like at one point uh when crowbar and lattice's rocket ship is crashing in the night um we don't we see paul and betty in the cabin and they overhear it coming down and they go to the window and look but they they only see a light in the sky as it's descending and and uh paul is thinking about it and he says hmm i wonder <laughs> and then we cut to Rudolf Yeber, or to not this is assumed name to um oh Fleming. Ro- Roger Fleming. Yeah. We cut to Roger camping in the woods, and he he's putting a mug up to his mouth, and he says, "Hmm, I also wonder." Right, <laughs> miles away, like, I yeah. also wonder. <laughs> but uh, but hmm, I wonder, and oh well, which is mm-hmm. this is the standard way you get out of any situation you're wondering about. Right. Oh well, mm-hmm. right. So in the beginning, so uh, the premise is uh, Paul and Betty, uh, you know, the Armstrongs are driving into this canyon to look for the meteor. Uh, they stop to ask directions of this farmer on the side of the road. Uh, David, you you mentioned this. Uh, the, the, this is what the farmer gives them for directions. I love I love this because yeah. this this is like, you know, this is who needs Google Maps when you have this guy that they, they ask the farmer how to get to the cabin. And he says, stay on the road here past Dead Man's Curve. You'll come to an old fence called the Devil's Fence. From there, go on foot until you come to a valley known as the Cathedral of Lost Soap. Smack in the center of that is what they call the Forgetful Milkman's Quadrangle. Stay right uh, right on the path of staring skulls and you come to a place called Death Clearing. Cabin's right there. You can't miss it. (laughs) I I love that. All those things. I mean, they're they're like what you would hear in another description in a horror movie or a suspense movie. You know, they've got these kind of sort of sinister sounding names, Mm. death clearing and (laughs) stuff like that, but they're broken. So like nobody would have a fence that is called the devil's fence. Right. Right. You know, the like, devil like, is that you'll find an old fence. It's called the devil's fence. I'm like, is that marked? Is there a sign saying the devil's <laughs> yeah. fence? Like, I, <laughs> my, my favorite, though, is the Cathedral of Lost Soap. Yes. In, instead of the Cathedral of Lost Souls or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I've had, I rewound that just to make sure I understood. They said soap. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's it's like something you'd hear like, I, you know, driving through like the the hinterlands of Maine, you know, up in New England here where, you know, you'd ask a farmer for directions and they give you directions based on like local lore. Well, go past the old uh, Miller place. Uh, the Their red barn got torn down years ago, but that's where you got to turn left. Like, but it's torn down. How do I know where it is? It's that sort of like, you know, a, Tur- uh, turned around, twisted directions. I, and I, I old like people anywhere will tend to give you directions sometimes <laughs> in unhelpful manners. Yes. Like, yes. even though, so today I go everywhere based on GPS and my phone. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I will, I will be meeting someone and they may be from an older generation and I will say, so where do you live or where do I need to go or something like that? And I'll, you know, I'll say, what's the address? And instead of giving me the address. Yeah. 
they start giving me turn by turn directions. Like, no, <laughs> I will never ever remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I would never have remembered that even before phones, and I mm -hmm. certainly won't remember it now. Just tell me the end point, and I will let my phone take me there. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh man. So, uh, there's speaking of a uh, scientist doing science. Uh, Doctor Fleming, the, I, I can't mix him up. I'll, I'll keep them straight. Fleming's the one looking for the skeleton, and um, it, when he asks for for directions to the cave, um, so the guy asks the, the the farmer responds, "Oh, you oh know, are you a... uh, are you um uh." Looking, are you looking for the skeleton? And he's like, "No, I'm a scientist. I don't believe in anything." It's just, yeah, it's like great. <laughs> oh. This is this is one of my favorite lines in the movie. Let me. Uh, so the just to be precise about it, he uh, Fleming is talking to Ranger Brad. Yeah, and and as Fleming is about to walk off, uh, Ranger Brad says, "You don't believe in those legends about the lost skeleton of Cadavera, do you?" And uh, and Fleming turns to Ranger Brad and says, Ranger Brad, I'm a scientist. I don't believe in anything. <laughs> <laughs> Deadpan. Deadpan. Completely. Yeah. Uh, well, I, and then yeah. the, the character of the skeleton himself, like, I wonder, like, is he's not I wonder if he's not so much lost as just people like. Like he's like a bad roommate that you never like. like <laughs> yeah. It's not so much losses if people just got tired of him and walked away. He's just <laughs> well, yeah. They they covered him up first because when Roger finds him in Cadaver Cave, yeah. I mean, he just like walks into Cadaver Cave and there's the lost skeleton laying there under a sheet, <laughs> about yeah. five feet kind of, in. Yeah, about five feet in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that. And then. um the 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 skeleton is sort of like, is like abu verbally abusive. He's like mm -hmm. you idiot. And he's like you're like he, he uh, verbally abuses Fleming. And then when he's done, he goes, "I sleep now." And then just like it's like <laughs> quiet, goes to sleep. Like okay, then go to sleep now. It was yeah, but, uh, cracking me up. But in one of the most in one of the most oddest uh, plot points ever, apparently all skeletons hate Fleming. Yes, he's yeah. been hated by skeletons since he was a child. <laughs> Does that include his own? That's the that's yeah, it's very odd hate. <laughs> the, well, this is one of the bizarre things in the movie is the way it presents skeletons because we have everybody has a skeleton, right? But mm -hmm. in this movie, skeletons are like supernatural beings that have powers if they're fully animated yeah. and and so they play with the fact that um skeletons are just ordinary objects we have inside our bodies but then they also attribute these supernatural powers to them um one of my one of my favorite pieces in this is where um the skeleton. So, like for example, the skeleton has telepathic influence. Not only does it communicate telepathically, it can also try to force people to do its will. And some, in some cases, it can succeed. Like it makes crowbar and lattice unable to move. Mm. Right. But earlier, after the dinner party, uh, the skeleton has gotten in mental contact with Animala. And is telling Animala, bring me the atmospherium, bring me the atmospherium. And Animala, you know, being an animal, doesn't fully understand. And she stands up and says, I must get the Amish terrarium. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and. 
Paul is like, why would she need an Amish terrarium? And Betty says, don't the Amish live in open air like we do? (laughs) Yes, honey, it would be inhumane to put them in glass cases. (laughs) Um, But then the skeleton starts influencing Betty to try to to bring it the meteor. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) I love this line. And meanwhile, Crowbar and Lattice are using their Marvin mind power to try to get uh, you know, they're telling her, bring me the, oh, so the skeleton's telling her, bring me the meteor, bring me the meteor. And Crowbar and Lattice are telling her, bring the atmospherium to Crowbar and Lattice, bring the atmospherium to Crowbar and Lattice. And then Betty gets up and says, I must make the skeleton meteor using a crowbar covered in lettuce. <laughs> <laughs> and and after they after they snap her out of the trance, like Betty is laying in bed. And she's like, where am I? What happened? And Paul says, it's all right, Betty. You were just doing some very stupid things. <laughs> and, and she just, said, like, just, uh-huh. just like, just like a, a, just like the, the stereotypical uh, patronizing in yeah. the fifties yeah. movies. Yes, exactly. And, and then she starts complaining that she starts trying to explain about her experience and how hazy it was, but she says, all I remember, it's just vague things, uh, strange. A skull was smiling at me and <laughs> and something alien, like another brain in my own head. And Paul says, that doesn't make any sense, brain's head. First of all, skulls don't smile. They're dead. And it's more of a grin, really. Believe me, I know. As a scientist, I've looked plenty of skulls in the socket in my time. <laughs> I liked when, it, when the, the, the skeleton started to do the mind thing to Betty, and it was like, Hi, Betty. It is I, the skeleton. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Betty. <laughs> that was just so funny. I like that. Yeah. Um, by the way, the skeleton is voiced by Larry Blammeyer, who also yeah, plays Paul Armstrong. Right, right. And uh, so Ranger Brad shows up in the cabin at one point because the farmer got mutilated by the mutant. The mutant attacked Horribly him. mutilated. Yeah, horribly, yeah, horribly, mutilated. horribly. So he comes to warn them. And he's uh, uh, when he says, um, I, you know, could it have been a bear? I've seen a bear do things. Well, even things that even a bear wouldn't do. <laughs> It's like, what? (laughs) And then uh, uh, there was something else he said about leaving. There's there's a bunch of stuff um, in the Ranger Brad briefing scene. Right. Um, You know, once he delivers the news that a farmer has been horribly, horribly mutilated. Yes. um, They talk about horrible mutilation and how horrible, horrible mutilation is. (laughs) Right. And um, and. I forget if it's Paul or Betty, but says, well, that kind of throws a damper on our evening. And Ranger Brad says, oh, I don't want to throw a damper on anything. I I, I don't want to throw anything at all, really. I just (laughs) feel that when people have been horribly mutilated, it's my job to warn other people so that maybe just maybe they won't be horribly mutilated, too. Right. And then he says, we take our horrible mutilation seriously in these parts. (laughs) And and as he's getting as he's leaving, he he turns to. Dr. Armstrong and said to Paul and he says, well, nice to meet you, Dr. Armstrong. And then he looks down over his shoulder and says, 
Nice to meet you too, Mrs. Yeber. And Animala <laughs> is crouching at his feet, licking his hand <laughs> like like a dog would. Yes. And and then after he goes out the door and Paul closes it, Animala scratches at the door like a cat would. Yeah, she wants to go out and follow him out into the <laughs> darkness. It would have been even better if he if they if they had uh, Fle- uh, Armstrong open the door and she s- stood in the doorway, going neither in nor out like cats do. That would have yeah. been that would have been funny. Um, so, so the actress who plays Animala is Jennifer Blair, and she's Larry Blamire's wife. Oh my! <laughs> and if if I if I recall correctly, I think he originally wrote the part of Betty for her, but she looked at the script and said, "No, Animala is the role to play." <laughs> she did it well. She did, she it, did well. it well. She yeah. is perfect for Animala, and not just in her vocal delivery of things, but her behavior. I mean, she's modeling cat and dog and similar behavior, and she is she is hilarious. She and the two aliens, Crowbar and Lattice, are all three of them show stealers. Oh yeah, they each are just hilarious in what they do, and Animala is does just as wonderful stuff physically um, that's suggestive of an animal, but right. is still just bizarre and dances like a beatnik. Yes, <laughs> she does. Yes. Oh, and in so at one point, the rock so the, dance, the rock <laughs> dance. So the yeah. way that um, the way that um, that uh, Roger gets the rock, the meteor, the atmospherium, is uh, he and the aliens go hiking and they leave Animala in the cabin where Paul is doing science with the rock, looking at a slide under a microscope. And Animala comes into the room where Paul is doing science and Paul is like, OK, well, you can watch me as long as you're quiet. Oh, actually, she comes in and he, the first thing he says is, why aren't you out hiking with the others? And she says, I don't have answers, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) And also, it's clear what what Roger has been coaching her uh, with, because like Paul will say something and, and she'll say, always agree. (laughs) (laughs) Always agree. And and but then she turns on a radio and Paul says, oh, now that's almost exactly what I didn't want you to do. I don't want you singing and dancing in here. But she starts doing this kind of beatnicky jive dance and she's wearing a um, a black like cat suit leotard. No pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. And and for the first time in this scene, not only is she wearing the black cat suit and black fuzzy shoes, She's also out of nowhere gotten black gloves with claws on them. Right. Mm-hmm. So like these are meant to be her animal claws, but they just haven't bothered putting them in the movie until now, which again is reflective of what you see in 50s movies where right. they'll have prop inconsistencies. So she starts dancing around kind of seductively and Paul gets up and is entranced by her. And she tells him to get the rock. And so he takes the meteor and she's like leading him out. Rock dance. Do the rock dance, Paul. (laughs) And and she hypnotizes him into bringing the meteor to Roger and Crowbar and Lattice. Right. Because they originally partnered up to steal it and split it. But then Fleming betrays them, of course. Yeah. He shows them earth sharing, which is very different than Marvin sharing. (laughs) On Marva... You actually share. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, 
yeah, there, what was I going to say? There was another. Oh, there was another thing I wanted to mention too. I there was thinking about it, it escaped me, but uh, yeah. So Anamala entrances uh, Armstrong to take the rock out there. Um, the they they have this. I'm trying to like put the story together in my head because it's kind of crazy at this point. So we have this, the skeleton is at the ro- the uh, rocket ship. Uh, they've betrayed Crowbar and Lattice. Oh, I was going to say that Crowbar and Lattice, they, the way they play that reminds me a lot of the Coneheads from SNL. From oh, Saturday uh-huh. yes. That sort of that fish out of water. We don't quite fit yeah. in. We think we're fitting in. We think we're mm-hmm. doing it right. Yeah. And you are clearly not doing it right. And it's, it, and it is hysterical that the way they play that it is, it is a, they yeah. play it so straight. It is great. Now, unlike the Coneheads, they don't talk in funny voices. Right. They, they, they talk in normal human voices, although they're quite reserved. Yes. And, um, and they show up at the cabin, and I just love what happens. They, they come to the cabin, and there's a staircase leading up <laughs> from the ground to, like, a, a, a you know, a, a railed uh, balcony. Yep that you need to get get up to to go into the door. So they encounter the staircase and being from Marva, their home planet, they don't know what a staircase is. <laughs> and it and and they're talking to each other about the stairs and it's like it's a construction of planes at different levels. <laughs> what should we do? step on them <laughs> and, and then they like put their backs against the wall of the house and carefully move up one step at a time because they've never done this before they're not sure if they're going to fall so they're bracing themselves with the against the wall of the house as they're going up the staircase yeah and and then they come around to the front door which is obviously from a different house and and they're looking at the door and and they're like, OK, this appears to be an entrance of some kind. Why isn't it opening? <laughs> and they're just standing there. Ta- and Paul and Betty are listening to them inside the cabin, but they're they're just standing there talking about why isn't it opening? Why is what is wrong with this entrance? Why is this happening? They are distraught. It's yeah. great. They, they're, they're actually like, they're actually like, they're distraught that the door is not opening. And and, and by the end of the panic attack, it's like, now they will know everything. Because <laughs> they're giving themselves away. They don't know how to use a door. And then Betty and, and Paul open the door and like, ah, and, and, and eventually invite them in. Like, well, of course, that's what we've been waiting for. <laughs> now we go in. Now. <laughs> um, and, and they use ridiculous, the, the Paul and Betty think they're the tailors that they've rented the cabin from. Yes. Mm. And they ask what their names are. And, and Crowbar introduces himself as Bamon. Mm-hmm. And Lattice introduces herself as Tergasso. <laughs> so that's have, much better than lattice yeah lattice and Kovar, yeah <laughs> right right and oh. and and paul repeatedly cannot pronounce bamon he keeps saying bet bet bannon bamon <laughs> right. uh, and finally ends up calling him bam just yeah. to just to end the problem and the, the the two aliens going under these names forget each other's names right and and so at one point um Gladys is talking to Betty about how much she likes, how much she loves the inverted cloth funnel. 
that she's wearing, <laughs> by which she means her dress. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 she uh, refers to, oh, yeah, I was just telling Crowbar about this. And Betty's first question is, who is Crowbar? <laughs> mm-hmm. And Crowbar suggests the designer. <laughs> as, oh, yeah. oh, yes. Crowbar is the designer. Oh, you must give him. You must give me the name of their shop. My wife does not wish to talk about a shop. (laughs) (laughs) Smooth. Smooth. Very. Oh, man. So, uh, so they have this mutant because you always have to have a mutant <laughs> yeah, that's roaming the countryside mutilating people. But horribly like, you know, mutilating people. Yes. yes, horribly mutilating. And but as always in these, the mutant falls in love with the beautiful woman, in this case, Betty, and thus she's able to beguile it and yeah. and get it to follow her to take on the the lost skeleton. So the, the, yeah, that that whole thing was yeah. was funny. And as she later explains, I don't think it ever meant to kill it didn't. It just didn't know not to. <laughs> but, and Jimmy, you, you said you're a mystery science theater fan. Did that remind? I don't know if you ever seen. Uh, it's, I've it's, seen them all. It, did it remind mm-hmm. you at all of the creeping terror from season six? It it did. Yeah, the creeping okay. terror is a really bad. I mean, it's like bottom of the barrel. Oh uh, it, yeah, fifties B movie. It has a ridiculous monster in it that looks like it's made out of a carpet. <laughs> and the mutant here is kind of like that. The mutant is is clearly a guy in a suit. Mm. You can even see the work boots that he's wearing. Yeah. Um, but the head of it is kind of like a three-eyed frog head. And the body, it's in these segments, and it's always reminded me of an ear of corn. <laughs> it has this corn-like texture, but it's like he's got giant corn husks hanging on him. Yeah. It's like it's something really, out of a really dumb looking. Yeah, it's like something out of Doctor Who in the seventies or eighties. You know, I mean, it's just oh, like worse. Yeah, it's worse, worse. It's worse than that. Oh yeah, <laughs> I suppose. I suppose. Uh, um, so uh, they, yeah. After they defeat, I mean, well, we should we could talk about the the battle over the the uh, the skeleton mm-hmm. and between the skeleton and the mutant. I mean, and the 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 wedding, the bride of the the skeleton, um, and. Uh, the recurring tagline, obey the skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> obey the skeleton. Uh, but we have this scene between the Armstrongs and the aliens where they're having uh, a meal of some sort using uh, cranberoids. Uh, oh, yeah. With, instead which are, of cranberries. Instead of cranberries. Right. Um, and uh, they're drinking uh, um, Marvin wine. And uh, there's this great line of, oh, we gave up getting drunk. Uh, eons, eons of your years yeah. ago. <laughs> and this is the payoff for a series of similar lines earlier in the movie about, oh, we gave up this eons ago. Yes. Like, like Betty as a housewife is is asking about, well, on, on is asking uh, Lattice, on your planet, who cleans up after a meal? Is it the men or the women? And Lattice says, oh, no one cleans up because there is never a mess. We gave up messes eons of your years ago. <laughs> and And this... It like dazzles Betty. It's like, wait, you mean no more greasy soap scum? Uh, yeah, <laughs> no yeah. more, har- no more baked in grime. No more ring around the collar. You know, she's citing all these advertising phrases that would have appealed to housewives back in the day, <laughs> right? Because now, 
Because not only because not only is this she treated like a fifties housewife. She even though they're in the woods, she's dressed like a like yes. uh, like a yeah. TV sitcom one the entire time. She's walking yeah. around in the woods in heels, pearls, and a dress and heels and. <laughs> yeah. She looks huh. like Barbara Billingsley from Leave It to Beaver or something. Yes, <laughs> right. Uh, when they're first hiking up to the cabin through the through the the, the canyon, yeah, she has this line. She says she's tired. She's like, "Oh, Paul, my legs already feel like two heavy slow things." <laughs> I, know, oh, I love that way. Slow, thing. <laughs> slow things. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, and oh, and then I wanted to mention. So later, after we've had several of these eons of your years ago lines. Yep. And they're they're. All of a sudden, we get a colloquial word because actually Betty asks Lattice, do your people like to get intoxicated as much as we do? And 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 she's just used this highfalutin word intoxicated. And the reply is, no, Betty, we gave up getting drunk eons of your years ago. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it was. Yeah, I I wrote the note down. I forgot the context. But yeah, the context makes it makes it funnier. So yo, know, that's the other thing is that this scene of them having this meal is like in the middle of the action. They kind of like just stop the plot. Like the skeleton is still at yeah. work. Fleming is still got the atmospherium. Anamala is still doing whatever she's yeah. doing. And and they're like having this meal <laughs> together. On like, board the on board the rocket ship. Right, mm-hmm. right. And it, it's and it's classic like that, like where the action, the whole flow of the of the movie just totally interrupted. And it's like why would you? And so it's brilliant to put that in there. It's yeah. like, again, it's, subtle. It's to show their bonding now. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's always five o'clock on some planet. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. right. <laughs> uh, so the skeleton sitting in the throne that has appeared somehow uh, in front of the rocket ship while uh, they prepare for the wedding. And with with Fleming there. Oh, I, I, I love how the skeleton is telepathically forcing the aliens to dance yes and and so they're there doing you know no partner dances um and they're kind of just wriggling around incompetently because these aren't real dances and they're saying no you can't make us dance you don't know what you're tampering with. Like it's horribly dangerous for aliens to dance or something. It's like force, <laughs> forcing Mr. Spock to emote. Right, right. <laughs> and you cannot take us to Funky Town. Yeah. <laughs> and well, the other thing is, is the the skeletons keeps verbally abusing Fleming. At one point, he just says, "Shut up!" He <laughs> just yells at him to shut up, like out of nowhere. I, I'm sorry. I just the, the, it was just so funny, like the way he he just abuses Fleming. It, it's, um, and then they'll let the skeleton wedding begin. Yeah, the skeleton <laughs> is very superior. Yes, he is. He is. I love how when they when he when they when he's oh so at one point um you know he the skeleton decides he's going to sleep now and yes. so he just shuts off yes. and and leaves Roger and Animala to make the preparations for the wedding and Roger is tells tells Animala so prepare the bride for the wedding and Animala is like how am I supposed to do that Roger <laughs> I don't know just do it. And, 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 and yeah, and not barking, but woof, woof. Yeah. And, and one of her recurrent lines is, is not like, it's just rower. Right. Right. Like someone saying the word. Yeah. Yeah. But then when the, when she brings out Animala, she's got her in a skeleton 
costume. Yes. <laughs> so it's like one of these black bodysuits with a skeleton painted on it. Right. And they've got like a headpiece for her that's just like a black stocking for her head that has a skeleton drawn on the front of it. So it's a two-dimensional skeleton a two-dimensional skull on a three-dimensional surface with eye holes cut out. Yep. It looks completely ridiculous. Yes. But now she's dressed as the bride of the skeleton. <laughs> For we someone who's a composite of four animals, I'll give her that. So yeah, she yeah, yeah, yeah. She did her best. <laughs> I, I love the way Paul Armstrong just knows that she's made out of four animals because they never, they never, they don't show the animals because in a 50s movie, you'd have to rent them. Yes. And if you don't have the budget for that, you just don't show them. So when Paul uses a transmutatron, before he uses it, he says, hey, look at those forest animals over there. I could use the transmutatron to make a date for myself so I won't seem so alone. <laughs> and then he just uses the transmutatron as a ray gun and they show an animated ray gun effect. Blasting a piece of blank ground in the woods, yeah, because they don't have the money for animals, right. <laughs> and and then Animala fades in or to existence. But Anyone somehow, I, go ahead. Somehow, Paul just knows she's made of. After she, he learns she's really an animal. He learns somehow she's made of four forest animals out of right. nowhere. There are several instances of 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 acquired knowledge, like. Knowledge that there's no way they should know these things, except it's in the script. <laughs> They've right. read the script. Oh, man. So, and like you mentioned, there's this this fight between the mutant, this epic, epic battle between the mutant and the skeleton. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, that might have been the, the funniest part of uh, oh. for me. I mean, the, mm -hmm. it's this, this, this funny battle. And, of course, uh, they, they go over the cliff. And the I, I love how the, the you can clearly see what we're meant to understand as an audience is that the skeleton is punching the mutant. Right. Mm -hmm. But really you can see that the actor playing the mutant is holding the skeleton <laughs> prop up to his body yes. and it's holding the skeleton prop by the wrists and punching himself. <laughs> it's a literal, it's literally the, the quit hitting yourself version of a 1950s movie. It's just yeah, like, <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh man! So yeah, and then we we of course we end with uh, be, you know Betty has the the line for the about the mutant it never meant to kill it just didn't know not to and that sort of thing which is supposed to be that profound quote you get at the end you know that sort of yeah uh, you know, like moving he tampered in God's domain you know <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so anything else to say about about this movie uh, uh, David. David? Yep. There are sequels, apparently, yes. at least one that I will mm -hmm. probably go see at uh, see at some point. I'll and, talk about those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. uh, I will have to go see those. So please, please talk about them. Yeah. Uh, well, I also wanted to mention I love now as as the listeners can hear because of how much we've been quoting this movie. Yeah. This movie is eminently quotable. Mm. Uh, there are loads of great lines in this. Um, and I'm sure if you watch it with your family, your kids, and you are going to be quoting this to each other around the house for a while yes. because of how many great lines there are in it. One of my favorites is, um, the, uh, there's a point where, uh, the, where Crowbar and Lattice and, uh, Roger Fleming are left alone in the living room of the cabin. And at this point, Roger confronts crowbar and lattice with the fact that they're aliens 
because they've been trying to hide this fact. They've been trying to pretend they're humans and they've totally been blowing it. And where it finally comes out um, is uh, Roger says to Crowbar and Lattice, look, I know who you are. I know you're aliens. Um, And Crowbar says, aliens, us? Is this one of your Earth jokes? (laughs) (laughs) and i just i just love that for years i've like aliens us is this one of your earth jokes (laughs) so loads of great lines in this it's a lot of fun um and as david was saying there are uh sequels there's really part of a it's sort of the larry blamire cinematic universe um, because he's got this group of people he works with, a lot of them, I gather, are friends, and they have like their own repertoire company or repertory company um, called Bantam Street, I believe. And they do a lot of projects together. So like if if you go to YouTube, uh, Larry Blamire has a channel where they have, I forget, oh man, what is it called? I should have looked it up first. There are a series of short black and white short subjects called like Tales from the Bar or something like that, where where they have it's like set in a bar in the 1950s and it's like a little miniature version of the Twilight Zone. And it, it has the same actors you'll see in Lost Skeleton. Also, um, uh, Larry Wright's books. Uh, I mean, he does a lot of stuff. He does. He's very talented. He's, he does. Um, one of my favorite books I've got by him is um, a set it's an art book of rare comic book covers for imaginary bizarre comics um Mm. he's also got a dictionary of bizarre terms called his blamery um and he's got the atmospheriums in there (laughs) (laughs) he's got novels that he's written in fact there is a novel sequel to lost skeleton called that's called doc armstrong suburb on the edge of never (laughs) and so it's going to have all your favorite characters there is a sequel movie called the lost skeleton returns again and they bring back everybody they have a bigger cast they bring back everybody from this cast except the farmer and they introduce some new characters but they have a problem like how so ranger brad died in this film he was horribly mutilated and roger fleming died when the skeleton choked him and animala was turned back into the four forest animals she was made from how do we get them all back well they make a new version of animala they're in south america so they make her out of jungle animals <laughs> and ranger brad's cousin jungle brad shows up <laughs> who's, who's like a scout in the in the jungle instead of a forest ranger and roger fleming's cousin shows up and and between between Jungle Brad and Roger's cousin, uh, Doc Armstrong says, oh, it's a day for cousins. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so there is, and in addition, there are other um, works that are kind of set in the same cinematic universe. Uh, there's another movie called, it's like A Dark and Stormy Night, if I recall correctly. It's, it's a haunted house movie. Mm-hmm. that has these folks in it. Um, one of my favorites, which was really hard to find for a long time, of the sequels is called, uh, or not sequels, but same cinematic universe, is called Trail of the Screaming Forehead. Ugh. 
And wow. it's it's about a scientist who begins experiment whose theory is that the the our, the human intellect does not really derive from the brain. Uh-huh. Instead, it it derives from the forehead. And so they there are experiments being done with foreheadazine, <laughs> which which will cause your forehead to become larger and your intelligence to increase. And there's an invasion of mm-hmm. alien foreheads taking people over. It's an invasion of the body snatchers parody. And it actually has Andrew McCarthy from the 1956 invasion of the body snatchers in a cameo role. Oh, nice. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> and there are these other associated characters like Big Dan Freighter and his his sailing sidekick, and they show up. And, and so it's there's really a pretty complex web of stuff. So if you like Lost Skeleton, there is more to find, either in the novels or in the uh, the movie sequels or on Larry Blamire's channel. In fact, while I was uh, doing some research for this recording, I uh, discovered that Larry Blamire has on his YouTube channel released some of the um, some of the sci- some of the recovered footage from the <laughs> lost 1922 version of the lost skeleton of Cadavera. Oh, so it's the lost, lost skeleton of Cadavera. And what he's done is made it in the silent. He's, he's found film from actual silent movies that like have a guy in a skeleton suit in them (laughs) and, and repurposed them with narration and 1920s style music and stuff like that to make a little condensed uh, short version of the lost skeleton of Cadavera with exactly the same dialogue. Oh, wow. (laughs) I like, I I found it and it's playing. And uh, the title card says from the celebrated novel, La Squelette Hotain, which has nothing to do with La Skeleton of Cadavera. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure what even that means. But the, oh, the only the only thing they do uh, in in the dialogue, they do change the characters' names to make them sound more 1922. Yeah, like instead of Ranger Brad, he's like Brad Ranger Bradley. Mm. And instead of Animala, she's Animaletta, the strange <laughs> one. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Do any, do, do any of them do the Charleston at any point? Yeah. <laughs> not in not in the footage they managed to find and recover from the the lost version of the movie. But was, maybe maybe there's some more footage out there still to be discovered. That is great. That is great. This, these little corners of of the internet with and creativity. It's just yeah. it, oh, it's and, fantastic. And, and need, needless to say, this is a cult movie, and Larry Blamire has a cult following in the good sense. Yes. In a, <laughs> yes, 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 yeah. In a good sense, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although, as as you, you don't know, dance like him. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe they, they dance like that. Oh, man, that is good. All right, well, thank you, Jimmy, for bringing this to our attention and making us watch it, because uh, that was a lot of fun. My oh, yeah. pleasure forcing you both to watch it. <laughs> yeah. Well, to wrap things up, we want to take a moment to also thank our patrons who make it possible for us to talk about uh, crazy uh, fictional B-movies and to create the secrets of movies and TV shows, including Matt P., Douglas C., Darius M., Martin H., and Gary H. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of movies and TV shows and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. 
So that's it from us. We'd love to hear what you think of The Lost Skeleton of Cadavra. Go ahead and watch it. I watched it on iTunes. I rented it for a couple bucks. It's well worth it. So let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash secrets. Also, you can get it on Amazon. That's how I watched it. Oh, okay. Good, good, good. Uh, or the StarQuest Facebook page, or send us an email at secrets at sqpn.com. Until next time, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of the lost skeleton of Cadavra. Thank you. Obey the skeleton. I sleep now. <laughs> <laughs> David Endless, thank you as well. Thank you. And your for your for your Earth film. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of movies and TV shows on StarQuest. And remember, oh well. I sleep now. <laughs>